I'm not 
Five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. And uh, Fridays are always extra special here that we know. But uh, today, after the experience of this week, we have to go into Shabbos. And I know that there are so many people, Baruch Hashem, who around candlelighting time, the women in our community around candlelighting time, uh, they are uh, very often focused on those of our brothers and sisters around the world who are in pain. could be family members. It could be um, people in Israel who we are praying for on a regular basis. And in this case, of course, as we go into Shabbos, and we are so focused on our brothers and sisters in Israel, especially after this week that we've shared together, we have a lot of people to keep in mind as we light candles and as we say Kiddush and as we begin our Shabbos, Parshas Lech Lecha. We have to keep in mind those who are still within Shloshim for loved ones who were murdered, taken by the enemy. We have to remember those who are sitting and helplessly dealing with the fact that their children, their relatives are being held by the enemy in Gaza. Those who've been kidnapped, who've been abducted. We have to keep in mind all those who are still in the hospital and all those who are home but recovering from their wounds and the thousands in Israel. We have to keep in mind the 100,000 that are refugees from the north and south and now living in very different conditions than their own home in hotels and dormitories throughout Israel. And, of course, we have to keep in mind the mothers, the wives and mothers who have been left to deal with everything at home while their husbands and fathers are out on the front getting ready for war against the enemy. Let's utilize what we saw this week and what I was able to transmit to you this week and incorporate those, those themes into our lives Rabbi Fass said something to us, how on Shabbos he, he and his family, more, more so his family, preferred to, to not focus so much on the war. After all, it's Shabbos, and after all, it's family time, etc. So they begin before the Shabbos meal and right at Havdalah time. They bookend Shabbos with the Tzvilah for Tzahal 
and the appropriate tefillot for this time. It's not a bad thing to incorporate into our own lives. Let's do what we can to continue to support in every way possible our brothers and sisters in Israel. It is a Friday morning edition of JM in the AM and uh, our usual Friday lineup coming up and plenty more. Thanks for tuning in this morning to the Nahum Siegel Network. Shabbat Shalom, 
רוח וחיים השיבו דם. אני מרתיח לך, ילדה שהיא קטנה, שזאת תהיה המלחמה האחרונה. אני מרתיח לך, ילדה שהיא קטנה. השרים אשר קולם קרא לילות בשם, בשם כל הגייסות והחילות, בשם כל האבות אשר הלכו לקרב נורא, ושרוצים לשוב אלייך חזרה, אני מבטיח לך, ילדה שלי קטנה.
Yerushalayim Habnuya, Rifa Enu Hashem from Yosef Karduner. Mayor Green had uh, the Songs of Soldiers, as it's described, that incredible uh, medley, very high-spirited medley. Uh, reflecting the mood, I think, of the Israeli soldiers, it is unbelievable. I just got a, a voice note from somebody who had spent last night uh, on an army base with 200 soldiers. They were grilling and playing music for them. And uh, they said it's unbelievable. You, you can't imagine the spirit. I mean, we, we certainly picked up some of that from the soldiers we spoke to on Wednesday at Yeshiva Dakotel. You can't imagine their spirit. And I know, obviously, they're trained to, you know, be positive and shut out whatever other, you know, distractions they have in their minds. I, I mean, soldiers are soldiers. We get that. And they go through, you know, the training to be focused, uh, but half of their focus is on uh, on achieving this goal, you know, with joy and with the with the um, joy may be the wrong word with uh, with the um, with the enthusiasm that one needs to uh, to be victorious. Yosef Karduner with Rifa'enu, uh, oh, songs of soldiers. We said Mayor Green, uh, Yoram Gaon with Milchama Achrona. I cannot believe that that song is so relevant 50 years later. I just cannot believe it. And, and we've done it before, obviously. It, it was a song we played at, at, at many difficult times, including the wars of 06 and 14 and other years. But uh, but this time around, it just seems so powerful. Someone said to me, I don't know, I don't remember if this was on the air or not, because I don't remember who said it. No, it was off the air. It was off the air. Uh, but someone said, someone who really is... Uh, who who's very good at analyzing uh, the political and um, military scene of the day, said, we are in Milchemet HaShichrur. We are literally back in 1947-1948. If we win and, and are victorious, we move ahead as a state with tremendous glory. And if we lose, God forbid, we, we don't even want to mention that possibility. 
comparing this to the War of Independence, 50, excuse me, 75 years later, comparing this to the War of Independence. And Regesh, of course, Modani opening things up, and we say good morning. We're back in the U.S., as we said. Today I'm in the New Jersey studio, and uh, we will be speaking, uh, please God, with Malcolm Homeline, weekly update in the second hour, all the Friday features you'd expect, 10 o'clock for uh, Mark Zamek and the Arab Shabbos Show. Brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Erev Shabbos music mix all day long. Brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Final hour coming up uh, at about, what, 4.30 in that area. Brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. And um, in Israel, they'll change the clock Saturday night. So on Saturday night, it'll be a six-hour difference. Again, a six-hour difference starting Saturday night between Israel and the Eastern time zone. And that'll last until we change the clock on November the 5th, I believe it is, right? Then we'll go back to seven hours. So be aware of that as you hopefully will continue to be in touch with our brothers and sisters in Israel. Just need to know what time to do that. So, um, again, it'll be uh, a six-hour difference starting this coming Saturday night, starting tomorrow night. 27th of October, today's the 12th day in the month of Mar Cheshvan. The year is 5784, Tufshin Pei Dalid. Candle lighting on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Lech Lecha, 538 in New York. 538, make sure you know when things start where you are. Again, 538 is the um, official candle lighting time for New York. Again, make sure you know when things start where you are. Um... Yeah, 538. And our regular weekend programming, of course, Monday, Ellie Beer joins us from United Hatzalah, Shai Graucher next week with one of the most amazing chesed efforts. We, we, we don't really feature the chesed efforts that just begun during the war. We're, we're being very careful about that. But <laughs> you can't deny the incredible success that Shai and his family and volunteers are having just incredible kolakavod, kolakavod. So we'll speak to him early next week as well. And plenty more as we uh, feature things that I believe are very important for this audience, for everybody, all of us, to hear on this radio broadcast. Leora Tedji was on yesterday. She is desperately trying to keep up with the soldier, with this deliveries to the soldiers, with obviously the weekly packages to families in need. But she said something yesterday that I didn't even consider, and that is the thousands of students who are now in elementary schools in Yerushalayim who come from other cities and who are being, you know, essentially living as refugees now from their homes. And they showed up with only limited, you know, how much can you put into a suitcase? And you can't make a three-year-old schlep a suitcase. So they came with limited stuff, and she needs to buy uh, baby clothes for them, uh, clothes for uh, toddlers and young kids. Obviously, uh, you know, essentials when raising children, diapers, wipes, um, a clothing, as I said. And um, she need, she need, they need strollers. They need equipment. Whatever you can give. Terror, and, and Leora's been doing this for a long time. Way too long. Over 20 years. So give what you can. We sent in a contribution yesterday. I hope everybody follows. Terror-victims.org.il. terror Dash victims.org.il. So uh, earlier in the week, Yankee Briskman and company came out with an amazing tribute to Deddy, uh, the great Deddy of blessed memory who was taken from us just a short time ago. 
Certainly left his mark on Jewish music, and Yankee Briskman and company put together this beautiful medley to uh, remind us of just that. Uh, it's a Friday morning. Thanks for joining us here at JM in the AM. Oh, oh, oh. 
Jam in the AM. Friday morning hour of Shabbos. The footsteps with Lech Lecha here at JM in the AM. Yankee Briskman and company with that tribute to Deddy. Really beautiful, by the way. Here at JM in the AM. Is that the uh, only two we did in this break? Yeah, I believe so. JM in the AM, good morning. Thanks for joining us, everybody. It's Friday, Erev Shabbos. Are you in touch with people in Israel? Make sure to do that. A lot of people appreciate just a quick message, a quick phone call, whatever the case may be. Uh, they'll change the clock in Israel tomorrow night, which means there'll be a six-hour difference between Israel and the Eastern time zone for a few days. November the 5th, it'll go back to seven hours, but keep that in mind as well. That's starting tomorrow night. It'll be six hours for a while. Uh, candle lighting in New York, 538. Make sure you know when things start where you are on this uh, Erev Shabbos Parshas Lech Lecha. Yeah, Lech Lecha. A Parsha that certainly uh, reaffirms our commitment to the gift of God to the Jewish people. And that, of course, is Eretz Yisrael, the land of Israel. And our beloved state being protected by our beloved soldiers. Yeah. No question about that. Um. So join us, everybody. Join us in reminding each other on Erev Shabbos and really all week long at this point to do what we can for our brothers and sisters in Israel. I think through this week we had some good recommendations and certainly spoke about it uh, to the point where I hope that uh, people act on it. I want to remind everybody um, the the campaign that Rav Rimon and our friends at Mizrahi are conducting for um, protective vests for our soldiers is uh, named for Tsevet Peretz. Uh, this is the um, son of our dear friends, the Peretz family, Rav Daron, uh, who I saw on Wednesday, and uh, they are waiting, of course, as you can imagine, being one of those families who is uh, waiting with bated breath for word about the fate of their son. As I don't know if I mentioned this on the air yet, but uh, I, I think it is uh, uh, safe to say that uh, based on what the Israeli army and intelligence uh, personnel have told the Peretz family, there's a very, very good chance that their son is, in fact, still alive and being held by Hamas. He's missing since 9.01 Shemini Atzeres morning. And... Um, this campaign for protective vests has been named for his tsevet, has been named for his command, uh, the soldiers that uh, he led, the group that he, that he led uh, into battle uh, in general and, of course, on that Shemini Atzeris morning. So it's Mizrahi.org slash Tsevet Perez. Mizrahi.org slash Tsevet, T-Z-E-V-E-T, Perez, P-E-R-E-Z. Be as generous as he can. I think we, from the Yeshiva Dakotal students that we spoke to about this campaign, because they're also very involved, because obviously there's a tremendous connection between Mizrahi and Yeshiva Dakotal. Uh, it's obvious that uh, the more money they have, the more vests they can purchase. And these are state-of-the-art vests that Rav Ramon has ordered. And the more money they have, the more they're going to order, and the more, they, the more they're going to distribute. It's really as simple as that. 
Um, so again, it's Mizrahi.org slash Tsevet Perez, Mizrahi.org slash Tsevet, T-Z-E-V-E-T Perez, P-E-R-E-Z. Um, what else did I want to mention? Ellie Beer is going to join us on Monday from uh, United Hatsala. He certainly has had quite an eyewitness account of what happened during this uh, Shemini Atzeris massacre. And we'll speak to him Monday in the 8 o'clock hour here at JM in the AM. Uh, Governor Hochul is um, going to join us next week, please God, as you know. And she, I hope that everybody who's a New York State resident has emailed her office and has, um, has, has written to her and contacted her office to thank her for the trip she made to Israel, a trip, by the way, during which her father passed away, meaning that he passed away in the United States while she was away. So you can imagine how emotional a journey it was for her, especially with that piece of news coming across as she was visiting Israel. Uh, but she, again, demonstrated, and she's always been a good friend, but been a, been a very good friend of ours and a very good friend of the Jewish community. And this was quite a step. I don't know if every past governor of New York would have run to Israel like she did three weeks after the war, less than three weeks after the war started. So if you are a New York State resident, it's so easy these days with email. Take the time to thank Governor Hochul for having made the journey to Israel during this time. And she'll be joining us, please God, next week here at JMM. In fact, they, they, she was spo- scheduled to join us earlier in the week, but uh, again, for the uh, the personal stuff that she's going through now with the uh, funeral of her father, etc., cetera, uh, things that did not work out. So hopefully we'll speak with her in the next uh, few days here at JM in the AM. Full schedule for a Friday, including Mark Zomik and the Kedem presentation of the Arab Shabbos show that starts at 10 a.m. Eastern time right here on the Nahum Siegel Network. Again, 10 o'clock this morning, uh, you'll have the uh, Arab Shabbos show with Mark Zomik. Uh, Erev Shabbos Music Mix all day long brought to you by Kedem and of course the final hour at about 4.30 also brought to you by our friends at Kedem that's what's happening uh, tomorrow night it'll be uh, Avrami uh, and uh, Rabbi Eliezer's Wickler Saturday Night Siegel tomorrow night at 9pm and Matis has JM Sunday for you this coming Sunday at 7am um, Eastern Time here on the Nahum Siegel Network and um, you can join Matis for all of that we'll of course return on Monday morning. Malcolm Holmline coming up next hour with the weekly update. Uh, Harry Rothenberg as well next hour. And Rabbi Yudin at 8.15 with Parsha's Lech Lecha, a Parsha that again allows us to uh, recommit to our holy land, to this greatest gift that God has given us. And uh, no matter where we are in this globe, we certainly can uh, do uh, our part in acknowledging that and our part in making sure to uh, secure it as best as possible. And whether that means financially, whether it means the continuation of the Tehillim and Tefillah gatherings, whatever it is, um, we have to make sure to go ahead and uh, and do what we can for our beloved state and our beloved soldiers and brothers and sisters in Israel. Um, I mentioned on the air, I never do this. <laughs> I mentioned on the air earlier this week that there was something I had to ask Malcolm about. I don't remember what it was, but for those of you who keep contacting me to discuss with him the campus situation around this country, which is even more different than it was 
just a week or two ago. We will get to that at some point during the weekly update. Uh, anybody out there who remembers what I said on the air about what I'm going to ask them, feel free to let me know. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program, heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSingle.com and the NachumSingle Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. By the way, I have the privilege again of hosting the 10 Yacht event this coming Sunday. Those of you who want to be involved in an incredible, I do mean incredible, Hachnasas Kahlo organization. It doesn't even describe it. It's so vast, incredible, and large. It's just amazing. Anyway, 10 Yacht this coming Sunday night. I believe we go on the air at 6.30. All the information is at the 10-yard website. Uh, purchase tickets and support the cause, and I will be uh, speaking to you at that. We're, we're going to be doing a musical tribute to what's happening in Israel and plenty more. Um, and, of course, plenty about the incredible organization that's happening on Sunday night. Galay Tzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast next at JNM. התחדש הירי לעבר ישראל, הזקות נשמעו לפני זמן קצר באשדוד ובניצן. מוקדם יותר נשמעו התראות צבע אדום באזור כיסופים ובחרם שלום. כתבנו בדרום רמי שנים מוסר שבכל המקרים הנפילות היו בשטחים פתוחים, לא היו נפגעים ולא נגרם נזק. משבר בחקלאות בעקבות המלחמה, עשרות עובדים תאילנדים נרצחו ועשרות נחטפו באירועי השבעה באוקטובר. כך סיפר לנורית קנטי המשנה למנכ"ל משרד החקלאות יובל ליפקין. יש לנו הסכם בילטרלי עם תאילנד, עשרות של עובדים תאילנדים נרצחו, לא מעט מהם בשבי, עשרות בבתי חולים ואחרים עדיין לא זו. הלחץ מתאילנד, מהשגרירות, מהמשפחות, מהאימהות שרוצות את הילדים חזרה הוא מטורף. יש לנו כששת אלפים עובדים תאילנדים מענף החקלאות שכבר לא איתנו ואנחנו מאמינים שעוד רבים בדרך. ומזכ"ל התנועה הקיבוצית ניר מאיר אומר ביומן הצהריים של גלי צה"ל אני מקווה שעכשיו מבינים שאנחנו לא פריבילגים. העובדה שיש 100 קיבוצים שמסמנים את הגבול ומאבדים את הצלם האחרון הפכה להיות מצב קבוע וברור ומובן מאליו ואפילו נחשבה לפריבילגיה. אז הנה למדנו שהפריבילגיה הזאת היא מאוד 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 לא מובנת מאליה וזה לא רק בשביל רצועת עזה. עכשיו המדינה תצטרך להוכיח שזה לא מובן מאליו. המשטרה עצרה יותר ממאה חשודים בהסתה לאלימות וטרור ו-24 כתבי אישום הוגשו נגד מסיתים לאלימות וטרור. למשטרה נמסר כי יותר מ-300 פרסומים של תמיכה והזדהות עם ארגוני טרור הוסרו וקרוב ל-150 תיקי חקירה נפתחו. כתבתנו עדה שטייף מוסרת שהצוות שהוקם באגף החקירות והמודיעין פועז מאז תחילת המלחמה במתכונת מוגברת. אמג'ד שוויטה, חבר הנהלת ועדת המעקב העליונה של ערביי ישראל, אמר בגלי צה"ל, כל תמיכה בהפסקת הלחימה הפכה להיות הסתה. זה מה שצריך להדאיג את החברה בישראל, שכל קריאה נגד המשך המלחמה הפכה להיות לקריאה בלתי לגיטימית, והדבר הלגיטימי היחיד במדינה היום הוא לקרוא לנקמה. אני חושב שזה מצב הזוי שמשקף עד כמה הפשיזם הגיע לכאן עמוק עמוק לתוך המדינה הזו. במערך הסייבר הלאומי מוסרים שהתקבלו במוקד 119 של המערך דיווחים רבים מאזרחים אודות שיחות שמתקבלות בוואטסאפ ממספר טלפון בחו"ל ואחריהן ניתוק ממערך הסייבר מדגישים שהשיחה עצמה אינה מביאה לחדירה או לנזק לטלפון, המערך פועל לדווח על מספרי הטלפון גם לחברת מטא. ידיעה שהעבירה כתבתנו כרמל אייל בשעה זו ירי רקטות וטילים לעבר נתיב העשרה וגם לתל אביב, דרום, דרום העיר ויפו, תל אביב מזרח, תל אביב מרכז העיר, תל אביב עבר הירקון, גבעתיים, רמת גן מערב, חולון, ראשון לציון מערב ובני ברק.
ומדריך התיירים המצרי מוניר מחמוד. המצרי המתמחה בהדרכת ישראלים בעברית הקפיא את מגב עם חברות תיירות ישראליות בגלל המחאה בעזה. בריאיון לגלי צה"ל אמר מחמוד כי ישראל עברה מהגנה עצמית לרצח עם. מחמוד גינה את הטבח שביצע חמאס ביישובי העוטף ואמר כי חמאס כמו חיזבאללה סוחרים בדם הפלסטינים. ידיעה שהעביר כתבנו ג'קי חוגי. בשעה זו נשמעים, נשמעות התרעות צבע אדום בזיקים, בכרמיה, בבת ים, בתל אביב, בדרום העיר, ביפו, בתל אביב מזרח, תל אביב מרכז העיר, תל אביב עבר הירקון. ומזג האוויר, ירידה קלה בטמפרטורות, אך עדיין חם מהרגיל עד שרבים, משעות הצהריים ייתכן גשם מקומי בצפון מזרח הארץ. שוב ירי התרעות, התרעות על ירי רקטות וטילים בבני ברק, בראשון לציון מערב, בחולון, רמת גן מערב, גבעתיים, עבר הירקון, תל אביב, מרכז העיר, תל אביב. לכל מאזיננו, יום שקט, בסוף שבוע רגוע. אלה החדשות.
JM in the AM with Aspak Laria. Name of the song is Kuma here at JM in the AM. Listener Judy Landy asked if we can give a, a shout out uh, to her sister, Rochelle Landy, from Judy. Rochelle, Judy says she loves you and she's thinking of you. And that is our shout out and message on a Friday morning era of Shabbos here at JM in the AM. Friday morning it is. Thanks for joining us. Candlelighting in New York at 5. 38. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Again, 538 is candlelighting here in New York City. Uh, tomorrow night, they'll change the clock in Israel. It'll be a six-hour difference between New York and Israel for, uh, for a week or so. Uh, November 5th, it'll go back to the seven hours when we go to standard time here in the United States. Um, right. Now it's six, then it'll go back to. I mean, it'll be six tomorrow night. Then it goes back to seven. Can't keep track of this stuff all the time. <laughs> anyway, uh, feel free to comment on the app. Go to the NSN Nahum Single Network app for Android and iPhone and comment away. Uh, good morning. Speaking of Dedi, we play his Parsha's Lechacha songs. Lona Zuz and Lechai Ten. That's a good idea. Also, Jonathan Sheinfeld's Lechacha from the eighth note. Um, Sfar, um, the eighth note, it's Jonathan Sheinfeld singing that on, on uh, the eighth note from, uh, Yessie Green, all from this week's Parsha. Good suggestion. Thank you. Try to get to all of them. We'll see if that happens. Uh, there's a stand with, uh, Israel rally in Baltimore Sunday morning. Keep on playing all the great music and supporting Klal. That's how we all stand together wherever we live in the, in the world. My song request today's Mission to Live was written for the war in the Ukraine, but the lyrics are so appropriate for now. Yeah, we have that. If we don't get to it today, we'll try to get to it Monday. That's a good, that's a good one. Uh, what else do we have here? Good morning. It's 6.15. You played a mix. Who sang this mix, and what is its name to look up? So I assume you're referring to uh, the one we did after Milchamach, Ronat's uh, Mayor Green, brand new Mayor Green, songs of soldiers mayor green brand new it's called songs of soldiers and moshe says good morning Nahum. the comparison to 1948 is not in my humble opinion quite appropriate then eric Yisrael was fighting its very existence well again that's exactly what this person said to me i'm just letting you know listener moshe it's exactly what this person said to me that now we are fighting for we the people of israel and the army is fighting for its very existence uh, winning meant the Medina, losing meant the opposite. Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly what the person said is happening now. Hamas, even including Hezbollah, do not have the capability of destroying Eretz Israel. I'll tell you, that's not what my research discovered this trip. Y you can't imagine the fear if uh, Hezbollah enters this war, and then, God forbid, obviously, if Iran participates. So while they inflicted terrible damage, they cannot eliminate the state. Iran, however, is a different story. If they go nuclear, God forbid, that'll go both ways and enlarge with America and God knows who else. Look, yeah, of course. So you're admitting it. The potential is there. It's, uh, you know, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives us gifts. It reminds me of, um, it reminds me of the Kever Rachel situation. Remember that? when we were about to lose access to Kevin Rachel and a bunch of uh, Jewish women, Israeli Jewish women, spent God knows how many nights sleeping near Kevin Rachel to demonstrate how important and dear it is to us. And in the end, we don't have the same type of Kevin Rachel set up, but certainly we have it. 
and we have access to it, although this week it was limited access, even even though it was Rochel Yimenu's yard site. And that's what it reminds me of. You know, we, we it, Yes, HaKadosh Baruch Hu has given us a promise, but we got to do our part as well. We have to remember that. Anyway, thank you, listener Moshe. That was an insightful comment, and I do appreciate it, but uh, a lot of the things you're saying and... Um, and and saying as as definitive uh, statements, uh, many of them we have to earn and maintain. Uh, JM and the AM Friday morning broadcast. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. As we continue on this erev Shabbos parshas lechacha, Harry Rothenberg has uh, words for us on this erev Shabbos parshas lechacha. His words are dedicated for a refuah shlema for Ruchama Chana Etol Baschava Ruchama. Chana Etel Bas Chava. Please keep her in mind for a speedy and complete recovery. Um, here is Harry Rothenberg at JM in the AM. God tells Abraham, Lech Lecha, go out. Leave behind your country, your birthplace, and your father's household. You may say, not that difficult. His father made idols, and Avram believed in God. How tough could that have been? It's very difficult to make a clean, full break with our past. There's a story told about a great rabbi in Israel. A number of years ago, he got the news that the New York Yankees had won the World Series. When he was a kid, he was a huge Yankees fan, so he made a kiddish in his shul that Shabbos. Not for the reason you'd expect. Not because the Yankees won. He made a kiddish to celebrate the fact that when he got the news, it no longer meant anything to him. He felt that now as a rabbi in Israel of stature, it wasn't appropriate for him to still be rooting for the Yankees. But it wasn't easy to get to that level where news that they won the World Series no longer meant anything. So he made a kiddush to celebrate that. I have to make a confession. I am not quite yet there, don't know that I'll get there. I'm from Philadelphia. The Phillies earlier this week blew two chances to win a home game to make it back to the World Series. And their season came to a gut-wrenching end. And it did bother me. I'm over it, but it bothered me. To this day, if I hear the Rocky theme song, I'm ready to run through a brick wall. It is not easy to make a full, clean break with our past. But look at Avraham's family members helping him along the way. When he leaves, he leaves with his wife, Sarah, and her brother, Lot, Avraham's nephew. It may be even more difficult for them to leave, certainly more tragic, because when they're leaving, they're orphans. Their father has died, and they leave. And then Avraham marries his second wife, his Egyptian maidservant, Hagar. She wasn't just a run-of-the-mill Egyptian. The rabbis explained to us that she was Pharaoh's daughter. She wasn't just leaving her father's household. She was leaving the palace where she was a princess to become a maidservant in Avraham's household. It's like God's pointing at her, telling Avraham, look what she did. You know how inspirational that must have been? If she could leave the palace to become your maidservant, you can make a clean break. And then there's one more member of the household, Avram's faithful, loyal servant and student, Eliezer, whom the Medrash tells us was the son of none other than Nimrod, the guy who built a tower to try to go to heaven to fight against God. That is a next level bad dude. But Eliezer was able to make a clean break with him to become Avraham's servant. Again, that had to be incredibly inspiring to Avraham. God was putting in place these various family members to assist and support and inspire Avraham along the way so that he could make that clean break. And that's what God does for all of us. No matter what test or challenge or obstacle we face, God gives us the resources before him to meet it, greet it, and beat it. 
Sometimes the resources are financial. God will give us the money so that we can pay for the help that we need. It might be the right doctor, therapist, counselor. It might be the right family member. It might be the right friend or neighbor, neighborhood or organization. It might be the right teacher, rabbi, influential person in your life, employee, boss, the right book, the right community. It may not be a parent. You may have to look for it, but it's there. God gives us the resources to pass every test we face.
gotta leave the past behind. Sometimes you gotta leave the past behind. Lech lecha, me'atzcha, umi moladetcha. ZANG <laughs> Sometimes you gotta leave the past 
you gotta leave the past behind. Sometimes you gotta leave the past behind. Sometimes you gotta leave the past behind. Sometimes you gotta leave the past behind. Looking back at the trail of tears behind them, as the past they cherished disappeared from sight, hearts torn from the home they'd never see again, thrust into an exile. Wanderers of the night, but along the road she waited for her children. For who else but a mother eases pain? Her resting place was chosen for this reason. To be that one lone space of comfort that remains. So we carry our prayers to you, my Merochel, with no more words and only tears to you, my Merochel. When our world seems to end, we come back. Mame, 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 you did not ask why. Mame, 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 you did not ask how. Mame, mame, but please don't hold back your tears. Let your voice be heard again. Mame. Stop asking when Mame Mame Roche Nowhere else to run 
uncertain But in this promise we have faith Oh, you be shabu, be shabu with Benny Friedman and Baruch Levine. Mishavu Vanim in honor of Baruch Levine's yard site yesterday and of course in honor of those who are in fact returning returning to the Holy Land especially during this time when it's so difficult to always conclude that it's a good idea to return to the Holy Land. Those were also two of the most uh, uplifting um, categories of people that we were hearing about during the trip to Israel. One was, of course, the Olim. Uh, Rabbi Fass and others spoke about the miraculous group of Olim who have gone between October 7th and now to move to Israel. I think if you put it all together through Nefesh Benefesh, it's close to 100 people already, right? I think so. They had that group of 25, and that well, maybe 50 people. But whatever the figure is, it's pretty amazing. And the other group, of course, those who dropped everything to go to Israel. Those who dropped everything. They uh, needed to be there. They needed to uh, help with the IDF. They needed to volunteer. And that group continues to go. We met a lot of people on missions. The rabbinic missions are great, and I'm not minimizing them at all. Uh, we were, we were, you know, we met up with many of the rabbis who are now in Israel for these few days, which is phenomenal. And imagine the messages they're bringing back to their congregations. But... Um, but the missions that include a lot of people uh, that are either being planned or are... Uh... Oh, I know that Andy Goldsmith told me a, a group from Amid is going this Sunday. Call it a vote. But there was another group that I was um, thinking about. Who was it that told me that they're heading out this week? Someone just said it to me. I don't remember which uh, organization it was or which shul. Uh, but kudos to Amit. Kudos to Amit. Another, I mean, look, <laughs> Amit is led by people who, again, 
they're always in Israel, thank God, going back and forth constantly. But when it's trying times, they're there even more often. That's the bottom line. What did I tell Rabbi Fast? The, the paraphrasing of Rabbi Riskin, don't use Israel as a Disneyland, use it as a homeland. Be there when, when you're really needed. And that, you know, and Amit has demonstrated that for decades, and, and that tradition continues. It really is amazing. They're an organization that um, is always back and forth to Israel, their leadership and their young leadership. But when it comes to tough times, then they step it up. They really step it up. And it's interesting, and this is not a criticism. This is not a criticism. There are programs associated with national organizations that canceled. I mean, I'm thinking of one specifically, but again, this is not a this is not a criticism at all. This is different than you know parents pulling kids out of yeshiva in Israel. Um, th- there are programs that that just literally stop high schoolers who were told, "Okay, we can't continue. You know, please go back to the United States and and, and figure it out." Um, and I, I do believe, in all seriousness, that they made the right decision, or I mean, made the right decision. They they have to make the decision, but meaning I understood the decision. But I mean, it's just the opposite. They're trying to reopen their schools in Israel in every area when possible. And now they're going there Sunday to show as much support as possible to not only keep the schools going, but God knows what they're trying to do for the teachers and the administrators and those who've been drafted and the families that are being left alone, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, Andy, have a good trip. And, um, and let us know how it goes. A lot of people involved. I know I've been criticized for spending so much time on the older organizations because there's so many new efforts out there. But some of them have such an amazing proven track record that you know when it comes to these situations, they're just flourishing. So what can I tell you? That's been our attitude here. Would I have done the same? Yeah, I think I would have done the same thing 20, 30 years ago. That's actually a really good question. <laughs> That's Anybody who interviews me over the next month about anything, include that question. That's actually a very good a very good question to ask, I must say. Malcolm Holmline coming up. We'll do the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Yeah, I don't usually give my interviewers tips on what to ask, but in, that, in this case, that's a good one. Um. Malcolm Holmline with the weekly update, or by Yudin, of course, on Parsha's Lechacha. As you would suspect, he'll be joining us here at uh, JM in the AM. This portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. Abel's and Hyman makes traditional kosher delicacies, pastrami, corned beef, salami, and more. Old world classics, beef fry, kishka, and more. And modern, better for you kosher products, including no nitrate added, reduced fat, and reduced sodium hot dogs, plus many other unique items. Visit the website, kosherdogs.net. Try A&H today. You'll be glad you did. That's an understatement. And again, kudos to A&H for their public uh, declarations regarding Israel and our brothers and sisters there over the last three weeks. More coming up. It's JM in the AM. Sha 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 ba 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 sha ba sha la sha 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 ba 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 sha ba sha la sha ba 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 sha ba 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 sha ba 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 sha ba sha la
J.M. in the A.M. with Micha Gammerman. Shabbat Shalom medley done by uh, Afi Koman. That's how he's referred to before that here at J.M. in the A.M. Weekly update coming up, of course, are by Yudin with Parshas Lechacha and plenty more on this Friday morning broadcast here at J.M. in the A.M. Don't forget our friends at JewishWorldReview.com. If you're looking for a place 
where you can find thousands, and I mean thousands of articles about Israel and the Jewish world. You want to print them out before Shabbos and to become even more educated about this insane world of ours. Uh, go to jewishworldreview.com. Again, jewishworldreview.com. Print away, read away, and uh, enjoy. Malcolm Holine is vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Holine, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. Good to be with you as always. Appreciate that. And I remind everybody, one of the themes of this week, especially with our journey to the Holy Land, there are a lot of people we need to keep in mind. Those who are wounded, those who've been kidnapped, those families that have been displaced uh, and are in a very difficult situations, those wives and mothers who are uh, handling things alone with hundreds of thousands of reservists on the front. There are a lot of people we need to keep in mind. I know that during candlelighting in Kiddush, uh, people are trying their best to remember those who are not at a Shabbat table and not necessarily with their families this Shabbat for all the reasons I just mentioned. So let's keep them all in mind as we go into this Shabbat Lech Lecha. Malcolm, everybody wants to know, and there seems to be many anxious people in Israel. That's what I observed when I was there. Any idea when this all-out ground war effort is going to begin? There's still no indication there was a more extensive uh, incursion into Gaza last night. Everybody, thank God, returned safely. Uh, they are testing and checking and destroying infrastructure when they go in. Uh, it's called softening the target. But also because you have the network of tunnels underground, because you know that they booby-trapped many places, because we know that they are have um, in place uh, thousands, tens of thousands of soldiers, there's uh, of fighters, of terrorists. The uh, Also, the uh, concern that Israel has about the hostages and the hope that uh, they will be able to be extricated uh, alive, even though no one knows how many are really living. And of course, the uh, Hamas did what everybody expected, and that is to say 50 are dead because of Israel bombings when there's no evidence of that. Uh, so the um, the timing has to do with a, a number of factors, including the positioning of American defense systems. As you saw yesterday, there were plane after plane came in again with uh, ammunition and equipment, which Israel desperately needs and which American troops need, uh, being stationed as they are in various locations. They're not going to fight for Israel. They're not going to be part of the army. They will be advising. They can do logistical support. But uh, the fighting will be done by the IDF. Malcolm, I mean, we know what the prime minister said immediately after the massacre and, of course, made a commitment to uh, to go in and uh, wipe out Hamas. And we know all that. We know the support that they've gotten from the United States, both actual support, uh, whether it be money or military equipment, and, of course, the public comments made by President Biden and others. We know all of that. But this week, the prime minister had an opportunity to really tell the people of Israel that we need to be extra careful for the reasons you just mentioned, especially for the fact that there are hundreds 
hundreds of hostages being held by the enemy. And he went in the exact opposite direction. He went ahead and he doubled down and said, very, very soon, we are in fact going in. And I mean, I'm, I'm sure this was a response to the anger in Israel, because it seems when you listen to the radio and watch TV there, there's nobody who's not angry that he hasn't gone in already. But, but he could have said, he could have said, we have considerations like the hostages, etc., and, and calmed everybody down. Instead, he doubled down and said within hours or certainly within a few days, we're going to start this massive operation. Tell me about the prime minister and what he is saying to the public. So uh, if you remember, we've, we've been through this story before when troops were kept for a long time. And, you know, they get very uh, antsy when you're day in, day out, already three weeks sitting at the border. The response to the call-up, as you know, was astounding, 140% of, of the call-up. Uh, many people coming, volunteering, all the support efforts, and all the families who are dislocated, they worry about their families. Some have gone back, you know, for short visits, because then that most of them are not very far from their families. The, the determination of the soldiers remains very strong, and the determination of the public. Today, there were hits even on Tel Aviv. They hit a apartment building in Tel Aviv. And how they still have the capacity to, to launch so many rockets and so far that from Gaza all the way to the outskirts of Haifa, uh, it shows the capacity of the enemy and what they have developed. And that raises a lot more questions about how all of this happened uh, without Israel uh, realizing the extent of, of their capacity. The So the prime minister, though, has to look at this and think about what is the message the enemy gets, not just the people of Israel. Right. He also has to consider uh, other countries in the region and, and wants to convey the message that there's not going to be a slackening, that there isn't going to be a ceasefire, that there isn't going to be you know, a, a determination to allow the enemy to, to get all of the things that they want. He wants to keep the pressure on them I can't say that I think every one of his remarks were the best or the smartest. I think sometimes you should just shut up when, right. you know, when you lose some of these raids and things, you just feed the hostile American press and those organizations to keep saying, you know, who, who are claiming 7,000 victims. But remember, these numbers come from the from the Hamas Ministry of Health. <clears throat> and they, they are, of course, claiming a lot of children to cover the children they massacred. And no doubt there are some who've been killed, but you can certainly be very dubious, as even President Biden was, of the numbers. And and more than that, I think the prime minister, uh, you know, looks at the, the media, all the lies, the distortions. You see the New York Times still trying to justify yep. their misreporting on, on the hospital, that the, the uh, you know, the lack of cement and pipes, they don't say it's because they were building tunnels or because they used the pipes for water system for, for uh, rockets. And the, you know, the, there are so many distortions, misrepresentations on a daily basis about what's going on. So I think the prime minister, and I, I understand the concerns you're expressing. I, I share some of it. I think too many ministers say too many things and use language that the enemy then appropriates against us. But there's one other factor you didn't mention, or at least I want to, you know, I want to take it on directly. And that's, uh, 
Well, I don't know if you agree with or trust the reporting of Patrick Kingsley and Ronan Bergman in the New York Times, but the article begins with, its troops are massed on the Gaza border and described as ready to move, but Israel's political and military leaders are divided about how, when, and even whether to invade, according to seven senior military officers and three Israeli officials. Is it possible that in his, you know, in his inner cabinet, there are those who are saying there should be no invasion at all? There are many who are afraid of the cost uh, to Israeli soldiers, Israeli lives, because of the booby trapping, because of the preparation, because of the mines, because of the hostages, because of everything one can make a case against it. There is no way that Israel can allow Hamas to remain after this and to rebuild as they will, and Iran is committed to rebuilding it. Look at Khamenei's statements, Raisi statements yesterday, and 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 each day, uh, the uh, uh, the continued shipments of of weapons and large stocks of weapons. They're sending it through uh, through Jordan, through Iraq, uh, Jordan into the West Bank, through Iraq and Syria, trying to land uh, planes and and getting stuff to Hezbollah and as well as their militias. So it's a multi-front war. The concern about Hezbollah launching a massive effort when we go in, I'm sure, affects the thinking of of some of the military people. But I don't think the people of Israel will tolerate not going in and not wiping out once and for all these monstrous and and dangerous people. So I think, you know, that's the choice. And if you listen to what's going on, as I said, uh, whether it be the public expressing itself on Israeli television or radio or anybody you see, there's such an anger and such a, in some ways it sounds like a need uh, to go and uh, make good on the commitment to destroy the enemy or at least, you know, uh, do as good a job as possible at doing that. Uh, And then the rumor started that sometime before this Shabbos, it actually would begin. So many people were predicting last night, but... Not there yet, I guess, at this point. Also, I'm glad you mentioned about the uh, uh, the red alerts. I mean, the the I mean, you've always pointed this out, and I think it's so important, especially for people on this side of the world, to remember. And it's something that we were eyewitness to now, uh, you know, over the last couple of days in Israel. One red alert, and your life's upside down. I mean, trying to get your kids into the shelter, uh, trying to you know take a break from what you're trying to accomplish or doing, and of course this is this is just and and that's a small little piece compared to the hundred thousand people in hotels, dormitories, and other places that have been displaced from their homes in the north and south. What women are going through when their husbands and the fathers of their children are now at war, and 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 the, and of course those who are waiting for the abducted to to come back, and those who are you know with the wounded. In, in the hospital. I mean, it is so over. You described this to us, and of course, I saw it now in person. It is so overwhelming how this has completely overtaken the country and how it has transformed it into this, you know, very you know, a, a powder keg of, of, of emotion and of, of, of trying to, to keep up with life. It is, we, we don't appreciate what's going on from thousands of miles away. And I think it's one of the most important factors to remember. I, that's absolutely true. And as much as people imagine, now that you've seen it, and I, as you know, I was there in Be'iri when they found the bodies and the, the day after the war, after some Chastorim, our some Chastorim, I was that, in Siderot and in, in Be'iri. I will, I will not speak about it because I don't have words to describe it so people understand. But Israel, it, we're reminded, is a very small country. 
strong army, great economy, great minds, but it's still a small country. I can't imagine if the USA hadn't been backing Israel in this war and to the degree that they have, and whatever criticisms you have of the administration, whatever else, the fact that the two aircraft carriers are there, the fact that the destroyers, others, other equipment, the fact that they are sending in sometimes tens of planes of, of equipment uh, and, the, and the support at the United Nations, and the support of, of some of the European countries, which is unusual. Um, I think you can't imagine what, what the situation would be. The economic life has come to a standstill. Yeah. You can sustain that for a week, two weeks, but people don't have income and the government can't give out, uh, you know, they give a thousand shekels, I think, to the families who are dislocated from the South. And thank God there are philanthropists and other people who are helping, but, but many of the families don't have a place to go. And they, you know, going into a hotel is not a long-term solution. Yeah. So you 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 have to look at how life has come to a standstill for so many people. The amazing chesed, despite that, the, the how everybody is mobilized. You, you the, a call for blood in one hour, they fill the quotas. The 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 Haredim who are down every single night, feeding the soldiers, bringing food, doing barbecues, doing a dancing with the. It's it's unbelievable. They made green tzitzes because the army, you know, because they have to be consistent <laughs> with the uniforms. They made 10,000 pairs. They just told me yesterday that one of the Chabad groups said the, and and what you alluded to in your question earlier, which is a, a troublesome thing, is if the people lose trust in their elected officials in the government and don't, don't have the confidence, and you see the numbers reflect that, that is a very uh, disturbing and worrisome situation. I heard a member of the military, pretty high up officer, say that this is Milchemet Hashichror. This is now 1947. If we win, we continue with uh, you know Baruch Hashem estate, and God forbid if we lose, I don't know if to fill in the rest of that. And, and and that is the attitude in Israel, and I think it's one of the reasons, frankly, that the people are so demanding that this ground and ground offensive start because they really do feel they're fighting for their lives. This is it, there, there is no option of that of of not defeating the enemy and uprooting it regardless we have to 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 face it down and take on iran if necessary and hopefully the united states and others in the region will will uh, will join the barbarity of the enemy has been clearly demonstrated their capacity is also demonstrated time will only be enhance those those uh, factors so it's really imperative this, and we have to make it clear to people that this is not just a battle for Israel. It's a battle for America. It's a battle for the West. It's against. It's the drawing the red line against the the, the terrorists and their supporters against the evil the, the designs and massive designs of Iran and all of its proxies. We have to understand that this is such a significant uh, battle. It's not one they can afford to lose. I think being cautious in the way you go in. Is is clarify is clearly called for, but as you said, I think that they have to clarify to the people. They have to retain the support of the people. Till now, I think they do. That you see, even people, the leftists, the people who organized the demonstrations just a few weeks ago. It's hard to believe that uh, are now amongst the biggest supporters and are out there helping and and working. <laughs> we we were at a spot in Jerusalem uh, this week where uh, where all 
Uh, if not the majority, if not all, then the majority of the Jerusalem rallies took place during the summer on the issue of judicial reform. And we're approaching going, oh, oh, it looks like they're setting something up. I wonder what's going on. And of course, it was a rally about unity and a rally about helping the soldiers, as you would suspect during this time. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at com and the Segal Network. And of course, on the beloved NSN app, Malcolm Honline is vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents and Major American Jewish organizations. All right, there's a lot happening on this side of the world that people are demanding I speak to you about, and I will. But just another word about the Middle East for a second. What do we know about these attempts on uh, on um, uh, American bases in Iraq and and other areas? And and frankly, did it not get the attention it normally would because they thank God that you know no casualties or major damage? Um, tell us about that. Well, this is an ongoing. Uh, issue. It's just got highlighted now. And the United States last night struck in Syria uh, with airplanes and uh, hopefully did a lot of damage because they, they, they attacked American troops. We have 900 troops in Syria, about 700 in Iraq. They fired rockets at them. There were injuries, light, but but injuries nonetheless. Right. And, uh, and America said that this is not related to the war in, in Israel. This is uh, defending American troops. So the attacks continue. They, they want to root out any American presence. They declare it. This is Iran, even Turkey, but, but certainly Russia wants to work with any one of the, the two, the three get together in different combinations all the time. But Iran and Russia primarily uh, want to get all American presence out. Uh, that would be a, a, a very bad mistake. And, and thank God President Trump and President Biden have sustained that presence, even though it's very limited. Uh, but it continues, and they are, are attacking American interests and American uh, facilities all along in Iraq. And there has to be a strong and determined response. And I think Israel is showing them that how you do it, that, you, that you, you can't be cowered by the threats. You just have to do it because more people will suffer if not. All right, new Speaker of the House in Washington, as we know. Um, Israel is obviously going to, well, I don't know if they're going to be seeking out, but certainly the United States is going to continue to offer um, uh, financial aid and military aid. Do you think there's anything that Israel will need at this point that uh, between the White House and Congress they won't get? The, the, remember, this is a $100 billion-plus package, and only $10 million, about 10%, 11%, is going to Israel. The amount that Israel will need is so astronomical. Ten billion dollars is great. It's very generous. It's it's very important. It's not going to meet the needs of what Israel will have long term. The you know the Iron Dome it has to fire sometimes, especially from the north, multiple rockets all the time, and there aren't big stockpiles of the rockets for these uh, for the anti-aircraft systems for the uh, anti-missile systems. The United States. Uh, sent the two uh, batteries that they have remaining of the uh, Patriots and the remaining missile stock, which is only about 300 missiles, uh, anti-missiles. So we need to see that production is ramped up. We need to see that more and more equipment gets to Israel faster. A lot of the equipment they're receiving is stuff that they paid for before, but the delivery is being expedited. We also know that the uh, stockpiles were depleted to Ukraine. We hope that they'll be replenished. But I'll, I'll give you one example of, of things we need. The, Israel needs a lot of rifles, uh, modern rifles, to protect the people 
and Yudon Shomron, who could right. face, you know, the influx of weapons that are coming from Iran through the system that I mentioned before, through Iraq, Syria, but ending up in Jordan and being smuggled into the, quote, West Bank, uh, is a, is a, a, a eminent threat. So one so, of the reasons that the Iron Dome has been so effective all these years is that it has been able, as a program, to keep up with the pace of enemy attacks, right? The, the volume of rockets and missiles it's been able to keep up with. If, God forbid, that volume goes way up, especially if Hezbollah and Iran decide to attack from the north, uh, it may be completely overwhelmed. It could be, yes, absolutely, and they know it. They they are uh, the question is, does Hezbollah really want to get into this war? Do they want to face does Iran want to see its major ally in the region devastated uh, and all of that investment and the people of Lebanon might take advantage of it if, if there was enough of a destruction to actually move on him. But, you know, they control so much of the infrastructure. But absolutely, if, if it's estimated that they have as much as 150,000 missiles. Now, some of them are older, degraded, perhaps, and, you know, many of them are in the homes of people living in the South. So it's not just a question of going blowing up uh, stockpiles in, in, in the southern Lebanon, but the and, and they use human shields as they did do in Gaza. The 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 danger, of course, is that if uh, two, three thousand rockets are fired or even a thousand uh, in a short period, the Iron Dome can't. Yeah. can't accommodate that so you have also david sling you have other means and mm -hmm. it probably would require preemptive strikes to prevent that kind of a launch do we know anything about um uh, about congressman mike johnson's attitude toward israel very positive he's been to israel i know people were there with him uh, all the indications are very positive. That's very good, to, to say the least. All right. Uh, this may take us to the end of this segment. It may not, but you could imagine, especially with the majority of this audience being on this side of the world, there are a lot of very concerned people. You live in a noticeably uh, large Jewish neighborhood, and even with that and the support system around you and everybody who's in different cities around the United States, uh, there are people who are uh, – who are in fear of uh, what uh, the next day may bring. The rallies, the demonstrations, students being uh, trapped in, uh, in libraries, on campuses, uh, the uh, demonstrations uh, um, uh, when they get out of hand uh, that end up attacking students who are holding Israeli flags. And, of course, the list goes on and on. Concern for synagogues, Jewish businesses. I know I'm throwing a lot at you, Malcolm, but you can imagine what the— uh, we know about the tension and fear among our brothers and sisters in Israel. It's different here, but I believe there is a tension and fear. You're a leader uh, who, uh, for decades on this side of the world, has always been there uh, when Jews have been in peril. What could you tell people about the current situation? I do think it's a very delicate moment. I think it's uh, it's frightening to see what has happened to the next generation uh, through our campus, though, as anybody who listened to this, our weekly interviews in this show, know that for um, 10 years, 15 years, all of this was predictable. We've seen the deterioration. Uh, I, I can't say that we could have anticipated the escalation and the some of the outrageous things that administrations and universities, that the a, a generation across the board of people who are not, are, have joined the, the call for, you know, Palestine River to the sea. To, and other calls, even more blatant things about burning Jews and and uh, uh, physical assaults. 
So number one, communities have people have to be aware, have to be concerned. The uh, life should continue, but we should we have to step up. And as you know, for 20 years, we've been working on the security of Jewish institutions, and we thank God have scan, we have CSS, we have other efforts, but every institution has to make sure that they are secure and to alert our children to know what to look for and to um, know how to respond. The the um, uh, anybody who, who believes that our future here in America is any different than, let's say, what's happening in Europe or elsewhere. There are differences, and I have to say administration, the vote in Congress this week of 410 to 10, um, the fact that you have a vocal group of people supporting Hamas terrorists is disturbing, but they are very small and we shouldn't feed them. And as you know, my rule was always never to talk about the squid uh, and give them uh, more oxygen. The, the fact is that 90 some percent of the House and 99 percent of the Senate stood with Israel, stand with Israel. Even in the U.N., they they uh, the Chinese and Russians, yes, they had a veto, a resolution that was supportive of Israel. Uh, so it is different. We are not alone. We have many allies, including in the Christian evangelical community and elsewhere. But it is a very disturbing time. And one one of the uh, we will be making announcements, I think, in the coming days about some major events. People should not be dissuaded from attending the pro-Israel events and the support for each other and support for us. This is about us and our future, too. And people not just demonstrating for Israel and Achenu ben Israel are, are one. We are one people. And when one part of us is attacked, it's, it, we see clearly that it's not talking just about Israelis or Zionists. They're talking about Jews now. And it's, it, you know, that thin veil has been removed. So concern, I think people should judge what universities they let their children go to much more carefully than they have in the past. Unfortunately, quotas are going to determine also that many universities imposing quotas on Jewish students and Chinese Americans and a few others. Uh, but check them out and find out what is the quality of Jewish life, what is the protection to have their university stood up, that it took this remarkable effort by Mark Rowan and Bill Ackman and some of the others to finally bring to the fore uh, the, the donors who have cut off the contributions. He gave $50 million to Penn, which where I did my doctorate, and, and Huntsman, a non-Jew, who gave, I think, $100 million. They all cut their contributions now. And he started a campaign to send a dollar. 7,000 people followed that we know of. When when Wexner pulled out of out of the, their joint program with Harvard, they told me they got three million hits on the on the uh, announcement. So people want to see that those kind of courageous steps. They want to see us not just sit back and say, "Well, you know, it's this, it's that." There are no excuses. Universities have to be held to account. We need more lawsuits, and there will be some against those who did not protect Jewish students. That at Cooper Cooper Union, Jewish students should even should think that they have to lock themselves in a in a library is uh, is ridiculous and that the rally taking place in Bur in the Crown Heights tomorrow um, that people be told to stay in their houses that's not the answer the police should be there and they will be and the police have been amazing in in, uh, in New York and in some other parts of the country but the answer to this is not that that we give it to them and I think their target will not be by the way, the, the Chabad community, the target is going to be Chuck Schumer, who lives two blocks away or a block and a half away from there. And that's where they're going to march to, to demonstrate. You're part of many groups that are in touch constantly with law enforcement officials. And one of the scary parts of all this that you just described 
is that, as you know, there is a recent attitude among law enforcement officials, and I'm not at all belittling them. Uh, we know what they mean to our community. But you have to admit, in recent years, uh, there has been more of a trend to not get involved when it comes to certain things, and there's a slower response very often, and frankly, who can blame them with the way our law enforcement officials are being treated? That whole attitude is scary. If, God forbid, a synagogue, a Jewish business, a Jewish block, a Jewish home is under attack or targeted by the enemy, uh, it's pretty, very scary to, to know that uh, there may not be a support system on the way from local government, or I should say from local law enforcement. Well, we see their presence, you know, touring in, in Jewish neighborhoods. Mayor Adams certainly has um, been very clear on his positions on this. But uh, the resources are limited. You have a city council with a bunch of uh, DSA members and others who want to defund the police instead of uh, building them up and, and uh, enabling them. That's why the local communities contacts with their precinct. Every synagogue should have a direct relationship and especially through their community councils or or uh, things like fjcc which does a remarkable job and so do the you know borough park crown heights other community councils across the city building ties developing relationships that's critical if you want them to respond we have to show them our Sato for what they do every day and support them and support the allocations of funding and stuff for the for our, all the security forces and develop our own and that means communities should be making sure that they every shul should have a, a security person, a liaison from the shul, have a, a cell phone in the shul, have a, a, a system to be able to evacuate, that people know where to go if, God forbid, uh, uh, shooters come to the door. Keep the doors locked where possible. And, you know, there are steps, enough steps that can be taken that, that we protect ourselves, but we, re, we rely on police. And we have to make sure that the, the relationships are built up, not when the moment of crisis, but before. Malcolm, remind me, in 2014, what, what, were, were the demonstrations, first of all, were there demonstrations in places like New York to support Hamas in that yes. war? And were they, as yes. vo- were they as vocal? Were they as violent? Were they, no. as, were they as despicable and as large as they are now? The answer is no, no, no. Yes, there were demonstrations, but to see... Others, this Jew, quote, Jewish Voices for Peace, this radical, anti-Jewish, hateful group that uh, joins in the demonstrations and becomes a cover for the others, even though they're very small and um, and, and re- relatively insignificant, but they get a lot of visibility because, uh, you know, supposedly Jews demonstrating against Israel makes noise, makes the news. Uh, but the, yes, you see how many young people of all kinds, not Arabs alone, have joined you see how much more organized we see the impact and this is very important and it's not the subject for now of foreign funding in universities and a lot of information will start coming out soon that will indicate the extent of uh, arab uh, sources arab sources funding american universities i'm talking about billions of dollars even from uh, like a country like qatar alone and uh, let alone others they the growth of the number of students that uh, come from those countries and they are are not just coming here for an academic education many of them are propagandists and and uh, tied to to organizations that are uh, uh, should not be allowed to function it's not a matter of free speech it's a matter of people who call for for uh, 
genocide and and call and and, and make blatantly anti-Semitic comments and things that would not be tolerated against any other. We will not tolerate it either. And you'll see the lawsuits, you'll see other actions. But when the students are called out who signed the hateful declarations and law firms rescinded their offers of jobs, all of a sudden they say, well, we didn't read it. It wasn't my name. It's somebody with a similar name. You know, I didn't know what the letter said. That's how courageous. Why are they wearing masks when they go to the demonstrations if hmm. they're such courageous advocates? The yeah. answer is that they, too, have to be held to account. I don't. I'm not talking about vigilantism. I'm not talking about any kind of physical assaults against them. We just have to have much more on our part. Jewish students should not be afraid. We have to have, make sure that they are secure and that the administrations live up to their responsibility to Jewish students. And professors who have done despicable things in their classrooms, and some get suspended, some have, have taken leave after it was exposed. But when they came out and applauded Hamas's massacre, when they came and and if there's no consequence for it, it's only going to grow. Make sure you have a valid passport. They may actually let you leave. You never know. I recommend having it on your night table right next to your bed. At a moment's notice, you can leave. Um, I don't want people to have to, pl- to panic. The I know people, that's I, not the right response I know, for us. But I, you are right. But you're right. People should make sure that you have at least six months on your passport at any time. But it, it's not a question just of running. At times, we have to say we're not running. We're going to stand up. This is our right. We have a right to demand of our elected officials and our security uh, forces and, and police the protection that we are entitled to and to 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 take a stand. And the more bold we are, the less they will do to us. And I can only imagine, especially you and your family history, how often you're thinking of comparisons to the 1930s. It's got across your mind constantly. Which I rejected all the years, including on this show, and saying we shouldn't because we have the state of Israel because of this. After what I saw in Biri, after what I saw in Steyrot, I I saw the Shoah. I, I do not I do not think anymore the same. I can't think the same. I can't describe what I saw because I don't have the words that can possibly capture the horror and the and the extent of it. But I saw the Shoah, and and I'm telling you, people have to wake up to this reality. Again, we have a state of Israel. We're not in the same circumstance. Uh, many differences, and I don't. And we shouldn't belittle the horrors of the Holocaust by by you know these uh, false uh, analogies. But to be aware and to be woken up and to say that if we don't act now, our children will pay a very heavy price. Wow. And finally, I just have to point out, they may not have a state, they may not have a country, they may not have an official government, but one thing now we know is Hamas really has an army. I mean, they literally, they, 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 Israel Israel is taking out, and I know I said this to you last week, Israel's taking out leaders and key people in Hamas every single day, and it seems endless just how many people are in the leadership and in positions of power to guide thousands of Jew haters to do the types of things that you saw. And in addition to that, when the hostage came out this week and described the tunnels, I mean, they literally must have, as you've said, they must have taken every single penny that has 
ever been given to them by the UN, European countries, and others, literally spent all that money to create this underground infrastructure that, based on the videos we we saw and the descriptions we heard, is is simply unbelievable. It is, in fact, hard to believe. And this is where and it goes from north to south, not only in in one area. It go covers vast areas. Israel has collapsed some of the tunnels, but they have to be careful because we know that the hostages are being kept in tunnels, according to the reports. We shouldn't judge the hostages by what they say. Remember, their husbands are still, uh, uh, of right. spoke, uh, right. are still in captivity. Right. That the that the number of members of of Hamas people think it's a ragtag small group of of these terrorists who participate in the demonstrations. It's an army. The estimates are between up to forty thousand members. And and even more in Hezbollah, but but Hamas forty thousand, and then you have Palestinian Islamic Jihad with another ten thousand, and they are even more vicious and and more directly controlled by by Iran. Malcolm, and, do you know do you know what kind of financial and construction infrastructure you have to have to build a tunnel system like that? Of course they do. It's unbelievable. <laughs> That's what some why we've been warning about it that they've been diverting all the funds that they when they complained about the schools and they complain about the the water the, not having water it's because their own fault it's because of this and 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 Arab leaders kept saying to us it's a kleptocracy they steal all the money we give nothing ends up with the people you know they charge when Israeli when people in Gaza work in in Israel they take fifteen percent off the, their salary whatever they earn. They, they 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 steal everything and when food and when shipments are sent in Israel's not blocking it because they, they want to punish the people so much as it's stuff that gets diverted to to Hamas and to its troops and and to the fuel that they have they have 500,000 liters of fuel sitting there it's a lie that they perpetrate that they just like about a hospital and yet the Western even after it's proven they they all know that it's a lie. And they continue to, to um, reiterate it, and and we have to stand up to it and call and say, this is outrageous. It's not tolerable. When you hear the guests on some of the shows, radio and TV shows being interviewed, call up and blast about it and tell the truth about it. It's it's imperative. It's not fighting. You know, uh, any of the civilians that died died because of Hamas's aggression and and actions, not because Israel wants to kill civilians. Unlike Hamas which set out to do the most dastardly acts against, and, and by the way, even civilians from uh, Gaza followed the troops in and engaged in, in some of the horrific acts that are not even describable to people. And, of course, the sympathy for Israel has already dissipated. I don't remember ever in the last two years anybody, government official, uh, anybody, a commentator on the news ever being concerned about Russian civilians uh, being a, uh, a victim of uh, attacks by the Ukrainians as they continue uh, trying to defend themselves in that war. But when it comes to Israel, if we have if we don't follow the rules of war and we don't follow the instructions of the United States. Oh, by the way, I before I let you go, the clock has got us. But I, this is what I said to our listeners early in the week. You must address the outrageous analysis of this war by the United Nations Secretary General. Absolutely. It is uh, it is the same thing that's happened to many of the others in the past, that they start off being good guys, they come in, they say the right things, and they get into the grips of, of, of the anti-Semitic infrastructure of the United Nations and make the most outrageous and terrible comments. This isn't the first. He was at the border of Egypt and he called on Israel and demanded that Israel, now in all the trucks and everything, 
that, and yet he claims now in response to the criticisms that he's mentioned, he said he's horrified that anybody thinks he supported or didn't condemn the Hamas. He said, if you look at my speech, I actually condemned them. Then he said that there's context and, you know, there's 65 years of oppression. And so I said, we should do a campaign, buy the UN a map, let him see where Gaza is, that Gaza has no Israeli troops, there's no occupation, there's no settlements, there's nothing. And yet, yet his references and lumping the West Bank and Gaza together, Gaza had every opportunity to become an idealistic place. It could have been Singapore. It could have been Hong Kong in the old days. And they wanted to. They were on the beach. They had resorts. They had other facilities. They had the, the greenhouses. People should remind everyone that Israel left them all of these things. And what did they do? They destroyed it all. And Hamas has no interest in, in the well-being of the people. They only want to do it for themselves, to, and their leadership lives in luxury in Qatar. They're not sitting in Gaza City, so, and they don't mind when the people suffer. So this is, you know, the mythologies have to be broken. And when somebody from the Secretary General of the UN can make the statements, whatever context, if it isn't clear, it's his fault that it's not clear. And and clearly the remarks that he made, the opening remarks, were not acceptable. And And I think, you know, the pressure on him will continue and nobody should host him now and the same thing of others who who make statements that are unacceptable no excuses no covering up now this is a line in the sand this is about our security our future about <laughs> hatred of jews and about the future of the jews you have you have had a very good relationship with many un secretary generals in the Including last him. in the last 40 Including years him. you would not host him now I would not meet with him. I would not host him now. And I've met with him many times. And, you know, in private, he, he tells us what a good friend he is. And, you know, his wife was in, working on the Jewish Museum in, in Portugal and because he is Portuguese. And, you know, but it deterioration and, and you know, it, whether it's the, the whole atmosphere and context of the United Nations, which is blatantly anti-Semitic and the people who work there. And, you know, you see very few Israelis moving up in the ranks. Uh, of the United Nations and the, the, the you know, the, the power of his words is that it gives legitimacy then to the claims and regardless, and if he, again, if it's not what he meant, then he should have said it more artfully and he should have said it more carefully. And he knows what the, the, how every word becomes important when he speaks. So I would not host him. And I've talked to others who have hosted in the past, urging them no longer should wow. he be a welcome guest? Wow, wow. Until he gets up and does a true mea culpa and, and you know, acts in, in, in a very different manner and ends commission of inquiry against Israel. Now we see why this is such an outrage that millions and millions of U.N. dollars are going into just the persecution of Israel with an unlimited budget, unlimited timeline, in addition to the two commissions on Palestinians, which works as propaganda machines against Israel 24-7 for years and years and years and funded by so millions and millions of dollars are being spent by the United Nations just to go after Israel. That has to stop, too. Malcolm, can't thank you enough. We pray for peace for uh, all of us around the world, and especially our brothers and sisters in Israel. I wish you a Shabbat Shalom, and I thank you for joining us this morning. Shabbat Shalom to everybody, and pray uh, especially hard this week for all of the families. And I, I will just tell you one thing. The great synagogue hosted the families who are staying at the Plaza Hotel. There are 500 from Karmimon. And they came, many of them, hundreds came to school on Shabbos. We made a big Kiddush for them. But when it came time for Kaddish, I would say between 50 and 100 people got up and said Kaddish. It was heartbreaking. 
to understand every family was affected. Every you'd see a father linking arms with his two young sons, and they all got up to say Kaddish. The number actually was greater than that who got up. It, it just resounded through the whole shul, and you know it's a big place. And we're doing much more to, to try and help them. And everything we do for all of these families is really essential now. And the needs are endless, as we've as endless. we've said all week long. Thank you, Malcolm. Have a good Shabbos. Malcolm Honline is a vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He's with us Fridays, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time for the weekly update right here at JM in the AM. Friday morning broadcast on this 27th day of October, day number 12. In the month of Mar Cheshvan, the year is 5784, Tufshin Pei candle lighting time in New York at 538, 538, make sure you know when things start where you are. It is with tremendous sadness that I report to this audience, uh, minutes ago we were informed of the passing of our dear friend Shia Mendlowitz. I know this news is certainly going to be a shock for everybody. Uh, I don't have any additional information other than the fact that, uh, Shia passed away a few hours ago. Beyond that, we, uh, don't have any information as soon as we know something. I'm sure that word will get out to everybody over the next few hours. Um, and I don't know about the circumstances or really anything else. Uh, we were just in four minutes ago and, um, as many of you longtime listeners know, he has uh, been a tremendous friend of ours from day one here at JM and AM. And I have, uh, developed a decades long personal friendship with him. And frankly, I'm just in a state of shock right now trying to process this information that we've lost our dear friend, Shia Menlowitz. I really don't have anything else beyond that to say at this moment. It's a difficult time. This time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader emeritus, Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Lech Lecha. Whoa, with Parshas Lech Lecha, we are beginning Jewish history, and remember, we say it all the time, there's no such thing as Bible stories, there are only Bible lessons. Now, according to the Chinuch, we have in Parshas Lech Lecha, in chapter 17, the second of the three mitzvahs found in Sefer Bereshis, that of Mila, that Avram Avinu is told by Hashem at the age of 99 to perform the Mila, circumcise himself, and interestingly, the Rambam in his commentary on the Mishnah in Chulin, chapter 7, writes very emphatically that while the mitzvah might be listed here and historically telling us of Avram's complying with Hashem and Avram circumcising himself, 
the reason that we, the Jewish nation, circumcise ourselves is not because of that which is found here in chapter 17 in the book of Bereshis, but rather from Parshas Sazria in the third book of the Torah. There the Torah teaches Uvayom Hashmini Imo Bisar Olaso, and this is in chapter. In Vayikra, Pasuk Gimel, Vayomashmini Yimol Besar Erlaso, we circumcise because Hakurish Baruch in his Torah tells us to circumcise and not because only Avramavinu circumcised himself. But we have the important mitzvah on the eighth day, just a reminder that. The number eight points out the Maharal is Lamalamunateva. Seven represents the natural world. Eight represents the supernatural. And the whole concept of Mila is Lamalamunateva. I'd like to focus, as we all should, on chapter 14 in this week's parsha which is the chapter of the four kings who are especially powerful come and attack the five kings who have the, quote, home court advantage in Eretz Yisrael, and the four kings defeat the five kings. They, in turn, take Lot captive, and Avramovinu goes to war against these four kings, and defeats them. And now we have to ask ourselves, wait a minute. Why does the Torah record this incident in the life of Avram Avinu? Now, I really believe that we should take the Pasuk from Ha'azinu, Zohor Yemos Olam Binush Nos Dor Vador. Remember, Yemos Olam, remember world history, and Binu, understand, study well, Shnos Dor Vador, the lessons that you can learn from our history. And I believe that the lessons that emerge from chapter 14, the first war recorded in the Torah, and Avram defeating the enemy is exceedingly important not only for our history but for literally the unfortunate current events that we find ourselves in today. So let's start with an overview. Why might the Torah record that Avram goes to war against the four kings? So for one thing, let's take a look at the chapter before this, where the Torah tells us that really 
a test of Avramavinu who's trying to teach the whole world monotheism, who's trying to be makarev everybody, to bring them under Avram Megayer es Anoshim and Sorai Megayer es Anoshim, Avram, who reached out and tried to quote convert the men and Sorai, the women, look at the incredible test that Avram had that his own flesh and blood at this point here his only living relative, his nephew Lot, he has to say in chapter 13, Lot, he pored no me olai. Ouch. Separate yourself from me. And what does he say? Ima small ve'emina. Literally, if you go to the left, ve'emina, I will go to the right. Ima yomin, if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Rashi learns much more into this, and Rashi says in verse 9, in my small ve'emino, if you go to the left, I will go to the right, says Rashi, b'chol wherever you will go and live, lo esrachek mimcha, I will not be far away from you, meaning, the emod l'cha, I'll be there to stand by you, l'mogain, as a shield, only Azer as a help. In other words, even though we unfortunately have philosophical differences, as the commentaries tell us, why Abraham had to separate from, in terms of Lot's unfortunate grazing his sheep on the land of the Canaani and Prizi, who were still living on the land. So basically, Abraham wants to distance himself from somebody who is dishonest. Rashi continues, V'sof tovar hutzrach lo. At the end, as we see in chapter 14, Lot needed Avram. Shenemar, Avram hears, Ki nishpo achiv, that his brother was taken captive. Okay, so basically, the first thing we're told is, Abraham is a man of his word, and in reality, he is emulating Hashem. Every morning in our davening, we say the Charos Imohabris, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu literally established with him, Abraham, the covenant to give the land of the seven nations, to give it his offspring, and listen carefully, Patokam es dvorecha, you Hashem maintained your word. Why? Kitzadik ota, because you are righteous. So the first thing we see is that even though it was exceedingly dangerous, Abram puts his own life in danger to go and rescue his nephew Lot as he had given his word. Point number one. Point number two, our claim to the land of Israel is not only because, as we saw from the very first Rashi in the Torah, that God gives the land to whomever he wants, from several places in the parsha, Hashem says, Luzaracha to your children, I've given this land, but Abram goes to war and wins the land in war. Okay, but now 
Listen carefully, my friends. Let's begin with the Ramban. The Ramban at the beginning of Parshas, of chapter 14, the story of the war, the Ramban says, This episode happened to Avraham to indicate that four kingdoms would arise to reign in the world through the ages, and in the end, the descendants of Avraham would prevail over them. Whoa! The Rabban who teaches in chapter 12 tells it up again now that on the surface, this is a historical event which happened over 3,500 years ago. But the Ramban says it's much deeper than that. Namely, it's a portent of what's going to be. That these four kingdoms, namely Babel, the first one, and the second kingdom here is Modai, and the third one is Yavon, Greece, and the fourth one is Edom, Rome, where we still are today. But the Ramban says, the Torah is telling us that as we were subjugated by these four kingdoms over the centuries, ultimately we prevail. Now this idea of we prevail, who is the we? So as we know, further on in chapter 14, when Avram does win the war, so the king of Sodom comes and says to Avram, look here, Avram, all I want is my people. However, you keep all the spoils, because after all, the spoils of war belong to the victor, and you defeated the four kings. Avram lifts up his hand and swears, and what does he say? He says, Harimosi Yodi, I raise my hand, and I take an oath, El Hashem, Kel Elyon, Koneshamayim Ba'oretz, right? I am swearing in the name of God, maker of heaven and earth, because through this war, the whole world saw that Hashem is the maker of heaven and earth, and therefore, he, I will take nothing. Why will I take nothing? Because, wait a minute, we just said a moment ago to the victor belongs the spoils. Says the Malbim, Avram was proclaiming, I'm not the victor. Hashem is the victor. Ah, if Hashem is the victor, then therefore the spoils belong to him and not to Avram. Just like you find in the ninth chapter of Megillah's Esther, where it says that we killed out on the 13th of Ador, Antanis Esther. We killed out 75,000 of those followers of Haman, and we didn't lose a man. Now, normally, when you go to war, unfortunately, there is loss of life on both sides. We didn't lose a man because it wasn't us. We were the instruments of Hashem, and therefore, we find in chapter 9 of the Megillah that we didn't take of the spoils then. Abram doesn't take of the spoils now, because it's not he who was the victor. It was Hashem. Now, if you have the Sefer, Dorash Moshe, of the late Rav Moshe Feinstein, Zechet Levracha. If you go 
2 in Parshas Bishalach, whereby on the Pasuk, in the Shira, Hashem Ishmulchama, literally, Hashem is the warrior. So listen carefully what Rav Moshe writes. He writes something fantastic. And he cites the Rishalmi in Tanis, chapter 4, paragraph 5. The Bar Kokhba, after the Romans destroyed the base, uh, the second base of Migdash, so Bar Kokhba, we know, led a revolt against Rome. And he dived into Hashem, please don't help the Romans. Don't bring a miracle to the Romans because even if, unfortunately, the Jewish people deserve to be punished, after all, my army, my men are stronger, better than the Romans. Hashem, just don't help them. And just let the natural take its course. And for this, says Rav Moshe, that Bar Kokhba, lost the war because instead of punish, praying to Hashem that you should not help the Romans, he should have prayed straight out, Hashem, help us. Now, he was looking at the war, Bar Kokhba, in a natural way. We're stronger. Don't provide a miracle for them, the weaker enemy. Says Rav Moshe, at a time of war, there is no teva. There is no nature and nothing natural. It's all a question of nace. It's all a question of a miracle. And therefore, even if the stronger side wins, it's not because the stronger side has more muscle and more intelligence. The stronger side wins because this is the will of Hashem. Take a look. It's exceedingly powerful. It's exceedingly relevant to where we are today. And the idea behind this is so important for us to realize. Avram wins the war. Avram wins the war because Lot has to accomplish what he has to accomplish, namely to bring in to this world as we find in next week's parasha, Amon and Moab. Avram has to bring, what? Save Lot, so that Lot can bring Amon and Moab into this world, because David, Melech Yisrael, is going to come from Moab. In other words, there's so much that we don't see in the Torah, but the Chachamim pointed out to us that there are layers and layers of understanding. There is the pshat, there is the literal story, narrative, which is found on the surface, and there's so much deeper that's found beneath. We're not permitted to pray for a miracle. What does that mean? If an individual, lo'aleinu, all the doctors have given up hope, then we don't pray for a miracle. What we pray is Hashem, should do whatever he wants to do. That's only true for an individual. When it comes to a tzibur, 
when it comes to the community, there you can. What's the best proof? That if you miss Alhanisim on Hanukkah or Purim in the Berkas HaMazon, so at the end of the benching, after the Harachamans, what do you say? Harachamon Huyasalanu Nisim. Hashem, perform for us miracles as you did in the days of old. And then you would say Alanisim at the end. Why? Because when it comes to the Tzibur, when it comes to the community, for the community we can, C-A-N, pray for a miracle. Our prayers these days have to take on so much more meaning. You have to be able to understand and read into so many of the brachos in the Shemona Esrei that we are talking to Hashem for the very crisis that we find ourselves today. We pray for Chonein Hadoas, that Kolish Baruch should give the Israeli government and the army the understanding to be able to do what's right and proper. Harotze Bishuva, if we improve ourselves, we will be able to expect and receive from HaKadosh Baruch Hu greater assistance. Each and every of the brachos, go Eil Yisrael, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the one who's the Redeemer of Israel. Rifa'enu, stop and pause and pray for those Lo'aleinu who have not only the sick that we know of, but the Lo'aleinu, those who have been injured and who have suffered emotionally, physically, from this horrific attack of Hamas, Yemach Shemam. And so, let's just go a drop further. The Yushalayim Ircha were praying for the Malchus, the return of Malchus based David, the return that there will be a Moshiach. We're praying for the Moshiach. And listen carefully now. Literally, for your salvation, we recognize that only you can extricate us from the horrific situation of over 200 captured Rachman al-Litzan. Baruch Hashem, as we speak, Matzmiach, Karen Yeshua, in the brach of Shmakulenu, you pray not only for Parnassah and not only for Shiduchim, which have to go on, but we pray that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to protect these soldiers in Eretz Yisrael. That HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to bring about a miracle. And as we saw it in Parshas, Lech Lecha, that Avram defeats the four kings, which is clearly something beyond the natural. And one opinion goes, it was not even 318 men. It was Eliezer whose gematria is 318. Because don't get me wrong, the same way the 318 yeshiva boys can't defeat the four kings, two men can do it if a Baruch wants it. So therefore, we should take the opportunity to grow with Parshas Lech Lecha, and each and every one of us 
should lech should go to themselves and to look carefully into themselves to know in which areas we can improve ourselves and Amir Hashem with His help there will be a positive ending to the horrific crisis that we find ourselves today. Amen. Vechein Yehi
Jesse Green and Company, the eighth note with Sfar. Words from this week's Parsha here at JM in the AM. Still in a state of shock, frankly, by the news we learned uh, about an hour ago of uh, the passing of our dear friend Shia Menlowitz. Don't have any details yet, but um, I'm sure that information will be coming out regarding the funeral in Shiva. And uh, I just don't know what to say at this point. Speechless after hearing this news. Time to say good Shabbos with Journeys. You're listening to Jam in the AM. The sun is going down. It's shining through the trees. Another week's gone by. Become a memory. So throw away your hammer. There's nothing left. Say good job is Cause all your work is done I'm gonna spend the day Together with The Holy One Say a special blessing On a cup That's filled with wine Man and his creator It's a very special sign your candles will be burning They'll fill your home with light Singing songs of Shabbos Well into the night So throw away your hammer There's nothing left to do
brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSingle.com and the NachumSingle Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. Wraps up another uh, Friday here at JMM, and really an amazing week. I thank all of you for coming along with us virtually uh, for the Journey to Israel for the Jewish Unity Initiative. A, wishing a wonderful Shabbos to be in Ralph Rosenbaum of East Brunswick, New Jersey, for sponsoring this week's JUI. Uh, it was really a heartwarming and incredibly inspirational trip to Israel. I hope you felt that way as well. Um, still in shock, frankly, by the news uh, that we discovered just uh, about an hour ago of the passing of our dear friend Shia Menlowitz. More about that um Next week, I'm sure, here at JM and AM. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Good weekend, everybody. Stay in touch with our brothers and sisters in Israel. Until next time, Nachum Sigal reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.